morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to take it up and turn with me to uh, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. If you um, are visiting with us or if you just haven't been with us for some time, then um, we have decided to take this fall and actually go back to school, if you like. We've decided to go to the classroom of wisdom. We've gone to uh, the book of Proverbs, and uh, we've decided each week that we would take a different topic and a different subject and, and glean the wisdom of God for our lives. The theme, if you like, of our study uh, can be summed up this way. We go to the wisdom of God. We do this because God has made you, because God loves you, because God wants to guide you so that you can be wise. God made you. He made all things, including you, that he is for you. He loves you most of all in his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants to guide you into the wise life that he has made for you. He wants to guide you into fullness. He wants to guide you into his goodness. And so he's given us the wisdom of God. This morning, we'll be turning our attention to a whole variety of, of psalms, or I'm sorry, of Proverbs, that will help us as we address the topic of justice, as we address the topic of justice. Uh, this week marks actually the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, when he nailed it to the, uh, to the door of the church, which started the Reformation. So a quote from Martin Luther. Because of faith, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone and serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love, and praise the God who has shown you such grace. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. This is from Martin Luther, that we have justification by grace alone, through, through, by faith alone, through grace alone, that we are justified in him, and yet our justification cannot be without having some sort of works attached to the fact that we have been called into relationship with God. We don't have works that save us, but there is the result of our faith that, that leads us to action. Thanks. Martin Luther King Jr. True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. We come this morning to the topic of justice, not because I have a hobby horse, not because I have any attempt to try to be political, but I do have an attempt to be biblical. And I think we would not be able to live in the wisdom that comes from heaven if we ignore what the scriptures have to teach with regards to our action and living out our faith based on the justice of God himself. I want to suggest to you this morning that if you think that you have a deep and vital relationship with God 
and have no care or concern for the least and for the lonely and for the lost and the left out of our society, then you are mistaken. That there is a direct correlation to our understanding, to our worship of God and our faith and a a direct correlation to the poor and the marginalized in the world. That we cannot live in the wisdom of God if we don't give our attention and our thinking to these things. So let me begin by this. Why justice? Why would we spend time on this? Why is this significant to us? Why is this so well represented in the scriptures, specifically even in the Proverbs? Why justice? We, we study this because the poor and the marginalized are the ones who have the very heart of Almighty God. That's why. Because we want to worship him. We want to honor him. We want to wrap our lives around where he calls us to be. And so therefore, because the poor and the marginalized are at the very heart of our Lord and Savior, therefore, we must give attention to these things. Proverbs 14.31 says, if you insult the poor, you insult the Lord. There's a direct correlation between our interaction with the marginalized in society and our relationship to the Lord. Proverbs 19.17, if you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. A direct correlation. God identifies with those who are at the bottom of the ladder. Specifically, there is, if you like, the uh, specifically there are those, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners or refugees, and the poor. These are, if you like, the quartet of the marginalized of society. The widows, orphans, foreigners, and poor. To do justice is to reflect the very character of God, of God himself. He is the one who is concerned with the vulnerable ones in society. And it's striking, actually, to see how God actually allows himself to be introduced, how he introduces himself, because he, the biblical writers, actually introduce God, and you know this, as the father to the fatherless and the defender of widows. Psalm 68 reads this way. Psalm 68, verses uh, 4 through 8. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. See, he is the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of the widow. He puts the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoners. This is our God. This is how he wants us to know him. This is who he is. One of the main things that he does in our world is identify with the powerless and he takes up their cause. God loves to defend those with the least economic and social power. Jesus himself, when he came, he didn't come to the powerful. He didn't come to the, to the wealthy. He came to the poor. He came to the middle class. He came to those who are marginalized in society. And so should we. We should also go to them. Proverbs 21.3 says this. 
do what is right, or do what is right and just, I'm sorry, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than religious stuff. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than showing up here even when the Vikings are playing. Than to come to church. We are to live in the wisdom of God. It is more acceptable to him that we live rightly and justly than it is that we play at this thing called church. That's not what he's about. His, his, his design and wisdom for you and for me is not just that we show up here on Sundays, but that we live out what is at the very heart of his heart. Tim Keller um, has, been, has written uh, wonderful things on this particular subject, and he says this, a deep social conscience and a life poured out in service to others, especially the poor, is the inevitable sign of real faith, and justice is the grand symptom of a real relationship with God. If you know him, it will be there. It may, not, it may come slowly, but it will come. And if it doesn't, you don't, think you, you don't have the relationship you think you have. Do you understand that this is at the heart of biblical faith. Do you see the importance of justice? That if in your faith, if your faith has not begun to break your heart for the marginalized, then maybe you don't have the relationship with God that you think you do. do you, this is at the very heart of orthodox biblical understanding of faith and of church. So if justice is of such significance, then what is justice? What is biblical justice? What does that actually mean? Uh, it means a lot of different things. Let me give you three that I think uh, will be helpful for us in our study this morning. Let me give you three. First, biblical justice is equal treatment. Proverbs 11, verse 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. Proverbs 16, 11, honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. It's equity, social, racial, and gender, in every way, there's equity is what God has, is at the very heart of humanity. Because why? Because all are made in the image of God. All, therefore, have dignity stamped into their being because God made them and God made you and therefore we have, we have intrinsic value. And therefore, there is no one person that has more intrinsic value than the other. There, there just isn't. Therefore, we, have, we ought to have equality in the way in which we treat one another. There's this passage in, uh, in the 24th chapter of Leviticus, verse 22. I don't know if you were just sort of lingering there this week in your own personal study time. Probably not. Where God is outlining and he's giving, um, he's talking about um, the, the law. And then what he says, he says this in Leviticus 24, 22. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. You're to have the same law. He's talking to his people. He's talking to Israel. And he's saying, you are to have the same law, the same treatment for those 
who are native-born and for those who are foreigners amongst you. They'll be a different color. They'll have have a different accent. They'll have a different economic background. They'll be different. They may worship a different God, but you are to have the same law, the same treatment for them. This is what he was saying for his people. It's what he's saying for our church, for for his church. He looks down on treating people differently based on the resources that they have. Or he looks, of course, the Bible is down on bribes. You know that. Why? Because the poor don't have any money to be able to pay off the bribes. And so, therefore, they will continually be at the bottom of the, of the ladder. They don't have these resources. So, therefore, the, it is for us to recognize as Christian people that we are to treat others as our equal no matter of their race, no matter of their background, no matter of their social economic scale, they are people who have God's image stamped into their very being. I don't know if you know this, this weekend, there was a White Lives Matter rally scheduled for the state, in the state of Tennessee, specifically in Shelbyville and Murfreesboro. There are pastors and religious leaders who stepped forward in those communities in order to to rally against these acts of hatred. I want to read to you the statement that they put out publicly that so many of these pastors and religious leaders signed. This weekend, white nationalism will descend on Tennessee in both Shelbyville and Murfreesboro for a White Lives Matter rally. As Christian leaders in Tennessee, we declare ourselves in resolute opposition to this expression of racism and white supremacy. We denounce and repudiate white supremacy as a work of the devil designed to dehumanize and divide. Ideologies that declare the white supremacy as the, or the white race as superior are an assault against the word of God which declares that every human being is created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. These ideologies stand in opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which requires or which reconciles in Christ's body people of every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. Racism and white supremacy are sadly not extinct, but present all over the world in various white supremacist movements, sometimes known as white nationalism or alt-right. History shows that indifference by the church allows such evil to flourish. We must not only declare racism to be wrong, we must oppose specific acts and movements that would degrade and dehumanize our brothers and sisters in Christ. We call every follower of Jesus in the state of Tennessee to speak out against white supremacy and all of its forms and to pray and to work for racial unity in our communities. We also pray for those who advocate racist ideologies and those who thereby are thereby deceived, that they may see the error through the light of the gospel and repent of these hatreds and come to know the peace and love of Christ through redeemed fellowship in the kingdom of God. And the rally was canceled because people stood in the name of Jesus Christ. Because 
when the church fails to use their voice, when the church fails to act, then we, we do an injustice to the gospel. We do an injustice to the gospel. What, what might this look like for you and, and for me? Well, first of all, it's this, that we need to search our hearts for when we feel superior of other people, and we need to repent. You need to do that. Because every single one of us, at some point, for some reason, feels ourselves to be superior to one another. And that seems to fly in the face of what we're to be as Christians. It could mean that we prosecute men who batter and exploit and rob poor women. It means that we organize in such a way that we seek justice against loan companies that prey on the poor and the elderly and the marginalized. In our, it could take a lot of different forms. But we need to recognize that it first begins with our own hearts. Second, justice, biblical justice, isn't just its equality, but it's also advocacy. There's the quartet of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the foreigner and the poor, the vulnerable of society. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, speak up for those who, who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Speak up. You have a voice. You don't need to speak up for the rich and powerful. We speak up for those who don't have. We have to speak up for those who don't have a voice. We need to use our voice. The people who don't have a platform, don't have resources. You know the story in, in Matthew 21 when Jesus, he came riding in on a donkey and then he went to the temple. And you remember what he did when he went to the temple? He cleared out, there was the money changers that were there and says, um, he kicked them out and he says, you know, you made my house into a den of robbers. This is to be a, a house of prayer. That's what this is supposed to be. But, and yes, and we have a tendency to focus on the, what was happening there and that they were exchanging money and all, all those different things. But do you know what court they were in? They were in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus was angry. He was angry because the Gentiles had a designed place, a designated place where they could worship God, but they couldn't worship there because of all this activity that was keeping the Gentiles away from worship of Almighty God. And so he spoke up and he chased them out in order that they might be able to be those who are actually able to worship Almighty God. It was, he was using his voice for those who didn't have another way to be able to worship God. My wife does this every day. She, she teaches children with special needs in the junior high. She works with a particular girl who's blind. My wife talks to the braillist. My wife talks with her caseworker. My wife works with the teachers in order to somehow that this young girl might be able to learn, that she might be able to be in school. My wife is advocating for this, this young girl's ability to be able to, to thrive in life and to learn. Like the, because if she, if she doesn't advocate as one who has a voice, who can see, who has all of her faculties, then the girl will just get skipped over and passed by. 
we have opportunities to be able to advocate for those to use our voice. What would this look like for us? Well, first and foremost, it's listening and learning to those who are the marginalized in our communities. Not judging, but listening with open hearts and with open minds. Second, it's, it means taking time personally to meet the needs of those who are handicapped or the elderly or the hungry in our neighborhoods and in our community. It could mean establishing a new nonprofit that serves the interest of particular classes of people. There was a woman who, uh, at a couple of churches where I served, she, for whatever reason, she learned about the, the foster care system and she was learning about these children that age out, the, the orphans of our day, the foster care system, that they age out at, at age of 18 and they're just sort of left to themselves. And so she started a nonprofit called Fill This House where she, went, she raised money and she actually uh, would, would go and help these, stu- these, these, these children as they aged out of the foster care system to be able to provide resources for them to be able to get a job and to be able to thrive on their own training and helpful needing things that they needed donations and taught them how to be able to to live it's using your voice for those who don't have a voice be creative it could take a whole lot of forms and my guess is it's in your office there are people that are being marginalized that don't have a voice but because of your position, you can stand up for those who even in the, your own office politics are being cast aside. There's opportunities that are there. What does justice look like? Well, it looks like, it, it looks like advocacy. It, it looks like fair treatment, equality. It looks like generosity. Proverbs 28, 21. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Those who give to the poor lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. This means that we need to share. (laughs) We need to be retaught what we teach our children, what you were taught as a child. We need to share. We need to give of our resources because much has been given to us. We know that. Look at us. I mean, we've been given much. You say, some would say, well, isn't it my decision? Isn't it my discretion whether or not I can give to the poor? I mean, it's mine, right? I, I can choose whether or not. Um, not really. As Christians, not, not really. You know, because we as Americans, we, we assume that uh, our default setting is, well, I mean, I may have gotten a little bit of help along the way, but the bottom line is if I'm successful, if I have reached uh, notoriety, if I've gotten what I've got, it's because I basically, because I earned it. I mean, I've gotten a few help along, a little bit of help along the way, but bottom line, I've earned it. And therefore, it's mine, it's mine to do with what I want. But, but as Christians, God says, yeah, you may have done a few things, but basically, I gave you everything. Everything that you have is only because I gave it to you. It's only because of my grace and because of my goodness towards you. Did you work hard? Sure. But who put you in the generation where he put you? Who put you in the country that he put? He didn't put you in Africa. He put you here. 
God says, I've given you what you have. And this is my heart. This is my heart for the world that I've created, that I've made. And if we've been given more and we fail to share with those who don't have, then we fail to do justice. Not just our resources, but our time, but our energies, our creativity, our, our artistic ability, all of these things. Are you feeling guilty? I am. I have been. That's not enough. Why, why don't we do justice? Why is this so hard for us? Why, why is it that after a gathering with my son's football team at a, at a uh, I don't know, a hot dog place or ice cream place or whatever it was, then there's a, a Latino family there, the whole family sitting there, and it was like drizzly rain, and they're sitting there. And, and then we, we have this conversation in the car of, uh, uh, what do we do? Have you been there? Why is it hard for us? It's, it's hard because when you come to religious, if you're religious, you have this religious sort of morality and then it makes you feel guilty because we say, well, I, yes, and you, well, God, I need to do this. I need to do this. And so therefore we say, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do it because, why? Because of guilt, but it's too hard. True biblical justice is too hard and guilt, you won't be guilty long enough. <laughs> You won't, it's just too hard. Because you get into it and you see these things and you get, it, it won't sustain you. And then there's the secular morality. There's the religious morality that there's guilt and then there's the secular morality which is you do this because you wanna feel better about yourself. I mean, after all, we wanna give back, right? And then, and then so, so companies create opportunities for you to be able to give back. And they say, well, you can take a day off so you can give back, which is fantastic, which is a great thing, except that the reason you're giving back is not because you care about the marginalized, not because that has your heart, but because it's a good thing to do. And quite frankly, I feel, I, I feel better about myself because I've done these things. And it's really out of self-interest. And somehow I'm making the world a better place. And to a degree, yeah, it's good that you did it, but it's not sustainable. It won't work. To do it out of guilt or to do it out of self-interest won't work. It's superficial. It's too hard. How can we do it? How can we become people of justice? There's one way. It's by allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to change your heart. You will not have the heart of God if you do not allow the gospel to change your heart. At the very heart of God, Jesus himself came to earth. God literally in Christ became poor. He was born in a feed trough. When his parents took him to be dedicated at the temple, they, did, they gave two pigeons, which was the offering or the sacrifice of the poorest of the poor. Jesus basically went through life homeless. He rode into Jerusalem as the king on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. The soldiers, while he was hanging on the cross, the soldiers cast lots over his last garment, his only possession. He was buried after he died in a borrowed grave. Jesus came, God came and associated with the poor and the meek and the lonely and the left out. 
Jesus knows about oppressed, the oppressed. His trial that ended his life was, a, was, it was an injustice. It was a trumped-up trial. They did it in the evening. They weren't, it was a mistrial where he was counted, where it, he was said to have been, had his life to be taken. He identifies with the poor. He knows what it is to be poor. He knows what it is to be oppressed. In the words of the great theologian John Stott, he said, in a world of injustice, how can you believe in a God who is immune to it? Therefore, I can't believe in God if it wasn't for the cross. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we can be able to understand how God, at his, we can understand his very heart. Jesus says, I who deserve, I live the perfect life. I am the one who deserves vindication. I am very God himself. I'm the one who deserves justice. But on the cross, he got condemnation. So that you and I, who deserve condemnation, might be able to know what it is to live vindicated. To know, he says, and I did that for you. I did that for you. Do you understand? I did that for you. You, so that you can do that for others. Jesus has fulfilled the justice that we deserve. And this is the only thing that can get you outside of our own, your own self-interest. This is the only thing that can actually, ch- actually change your heart into what is actually breaking the heart of God. We will never, we will never be people who do justice if we we feel superior to others. We never will. If you feel like you're better than somebody else, even if you're serving them, you won't, it's not sustainable. It's not. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, we recognize that there is no good thing that I could have done. I deserved, if God gave me what I deserve, what my merits are, then I would be in hell. That's what I deserve. And you do too. And so therefore, at the foot of the cross, every single one of us come to our knees. And so therefore, you have no, and I have no reason to be superior to any other person made in the image of God. But you will never do justice if you're empty, if you have nothing to give. And you go to the cross, and God says, I love you so much that I wanted to do this for you, that I've raised you to the highest heavens so that you can spend eternity with me because I want you to be my child. So we're humble, we're not better than anyone, but when we recognize that we're humbled by the gospel and that we're lifted to the highest throne room of almighty heaven because God wants you with him, then when that takes your heart, then, then slowly, step by step, our hearts can change and God can sustain us And God can use us to do justice in a world that so desperately, desperately needs the church to have a voice. May we live in the wisdom of God because God made you. He loves you and he wants to guide you into justice so that we can be wise. Father, none of us has a handle on these things. And this is 
a hard word for me. It's challenging. It's convicting to the very core of my being. And yet, Father, it's all over the Bible. So we must not run away from it. Will you allow us by your spirit to do business with you that we might take a step ever so slowly towards being people of justice like you call us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.